Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? It's, uh, it's good to finally say good morning as, as Brandon talked when he, when he came up. It was, it's just great to finally be here, to be meeting in our, in our own space at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning here in Greensburg. If you've been with us for a while, you know we've been meeting at 4 p.m. in different locations for well over a year, and so it's just been fantastic uh, to, to see what God's doing here, what God's doing in this place, so praise, praise Him for that. Um, if you're new with us today, welcome. Uh, welcome to be a, a part of our very first morning service. Um, I want to introduce myself if you're new. My name's Tony Carter. I'm the lead pastor here at The Rock, and we want to thank you for joining us this morning. We're so glad to have you here with us. We're so glad to just be able to come together as a body and worship Jesus, worship our Savior, worship our Rescuer. And so if you would go ahead, we're going we're gonna to dive right into the text this morning. If you go ahead and get out your copy of God's Word, we're going to continue where we left off in our series in Colossians, picking up in verse 22 of chapter 3, Colossians 3, 22. And this morning, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can look underneath the seat around you, in front of you or beside you, and there you'll find a copy of God's Word. If you're new with us today, I want to go ahead and and recap what we've been walking through the last few months. Recap what we've learned thus far from Paul's letter to the Colossian church. Over the last few months, we've been walking line by line and verse by verse through this book of Colossians, this letter to the Colossian church, in a series that we've called Rooted in Christ. And what we know from the text thus far is this. First is, Paul is writing this letter to the church in the city of Colossae. We also found out, as we, as we studied through this text together, that Paul didn't plant this church. Right? This is a church that Paul didn't personally plant himself. We learned that a man named Epaphras heard Paul preach the gospel, and then he went back to his hometown of Colossae, and he began to preach that same gospel. And as the gospel began to affect the hearts of the people in Colossae, disciples were raised up, and thus the church in Colossae was born. And the final thing that we've learned is that we know the reason why Paul is writing this letter to the church. The reason is that false teachers have risen up in this church in Colossae. They've climbed up the ladder to the top, and now they're teaching against the gospel of Jesus. These false teachers are trying to, to sway the believers in the Colossian church towards worshiping all kinds of, of crazy things. They're, 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 they're trying to get them to worship uh, their knowledge and enlightenment over their faith in Jesus. They're questioning the, the origins of the world. They're pushing different religions like Judaism and paganism or, or worshiping multiple gods, like God of the sun, God of the water. They're even pushing people to worship idols, statues, and angels. All kinds of crazy things that these false teachers have risen up in this church and are trying to sway the people, the believers in Colossae, to change their viewpoint and begin to worship other gods other than Jesus. And so Paul writes this church, this letter, and he's relaying to these people the importance of having a strong, founded, and rooted faith in Jesus alone. Paul is reminding them who it is they gave their life over to so that they will not be swayed by the world 
in different teachings and different beliefs. So they won't put their faith anywhere else except for in Jesus. Paul spoke in chapter one, as we begin to walk many weeks ago through chapter one, Paul spoke on the preeminence of Jesus, how he is the one true God, that all things were made through him and made for him and made by him. And then we moved into chapter two and Paul spoke about the validity of the gospel of Jesus, how faith in Jesus alone is enough to make you righteous in God's eyes and rescue you from the eternal death that you're heading towards. And then as we moved into chapter three, Paul has shown us what it looks like to be rooted in Christ, what it looks like to be rooted in Jesus, how to, how to walk as a new creation in Jesus and, and not as the old dead self that died when you gave your life over to him. And if you were with us last week, Pastor Joe Catronio was here from our sending church, Doxad, Indianapolis, and he preached a, a fantastic message on on how being rooted in Christ should affect the way that we live out our lives at home, right? With our families. And now today, as we dive into Colossians 3.22, Paul's going to dig into the last area of importance in a life rooted in Jesus. So we're gonna get right into the text. Y'all ready? Say amen. Let's go. All right. Colossians 3.22, Paul says this. Bond servants obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality." Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So let's first, as we, as we, see, as we open up this text with the very first word, we're going to address something here, church. We're going to address slavery in the Bible, and we're, gonna, we're just going to do a quick overview. Like We could spend a lot of time here, but I want to give you a quick overview and understanding of, of when Paul says the word bondservants, that word translated really means slave. So we're going to talk a little bit, address slavery in the Roman Empire during the time Paul is writing this letter. So the context of slavery in this time period in which Paul is writing this letter is vastly different from what was experienced during the past 250 years in American history, right? What we have seen in our American history, our short 250 years of American history as slavery, the context of slavery in Paul's time was largely based on economics and not on race. People in this time often sold themselves into slavery to feed themselves, to feed their families. Now, that's not always what happened, but largely what happened was they, they sold themselves into slavery so they could support their families, and thus their wife, their children, becoming slaves, being inherited into slavery so that they could live a life outside of poverty. The point here is that slavery is an element in this Roman society, right? It's a reality. This was a reality in this time period that Paul is writing in. And it's a reality in the Roman Empire. And so let's get our eyes focused on this, that Paul's purpose here is not to preach against slavery. 
The gospel already did that. Like Paul doesn't have to do that. The gospel already does it. The gospel of Jesus transforms hearts of individuals, pushes them to abide in Jesus and his word, which teaches that all are equal under him. All are equal under Jesus. There's no need for Paul to preach against the slavery because he's been preaching the gospel and the gospel unites all under Jesus. Paul's purpose here instead is this, is to show how both slave and master, how they live as faithful disciples of Jesus in their cultural context, in their reality. So we have slave, we have master. How do we live as disciples of Christ in our cultural context? And this is the context, right, in the Roman Empire. Slave, bond service, this is a cultural norm. And so as we look today at the text, we're going to need to see how we can use Paul's teaching in our own cultural context, right, to be better followers of Christ. So this morning, that's, that's what we're going to do, church. We're going to, we're going to dive right into this section of text and apply the, the context into how we should carry ourselves as followers of Jesus in the workforce, right? How we should work secularly as followers of Christ. And Paul, as, he, as we run through this, Paul's gonna share with us a, a centralized idea from this text, or what we call the big idea. And the big idea is this. Even in our work, our focus must be to glorify Jesus. Even in our work, our focus must be to glorify Jesus. And that, that's what Paul is gonna leave us with this morning. And Paul today is, is addressing this relationship between slave and master, or in our context, between employee and employer. And here's the thing, church. Everything Paul's going to show us this morning is founded in a command that he gave us already. Right? Back, if you were with us, in chapter 3, verse 17, Colossians 3, 17, Paul said something that is like the overall blanket everything we're going to be talking about today. The overall blanket of, of what it means to truly be rooted in Jesus, and it's this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's what we're going to lean into today. That text today is what's going to affect our heart. So Paul has already shown us last week that we are to live out our lives at home with our families for Jesus. And next, he's going to show us how we are to live our lives at work for Jesus. So today, Paul's going to show us four ways. We're at four points this morning. We glorify Jesus with our work and in our workplace. So let's dive in. The first point this morning is this in verse 22. We glorify Jesus with our motivation to work. Read with me again in verse 22. Paul says, bond servants or slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So the first thing that Paul tells us to do, verse 22, is this. He says, obey our earthly masters. Who are our earthly masters Monday to Friday, church? Bosses, right? Our employers. Paul says to obey the commands of those who are put in charge over you. Right, this word master in the Greek, uh, it, it means those who have authority over you. So in our context today, we're to follow the direction and leadership of those who have authority over us in the workplace. 
Essentially, what the Bible is telling us here is to do the job we've been given to do by our superiors. Right? Do your job. Focus on your job. Do your job. But this can be hard for us sometimes, can't it, church? Like, this can be difficult. We don't always desire to follow the leadership of our superiors, do we? I don't know, most of you might not know my story, but some of you do, but just to kind of tell you, like, I, I, didn't, I haven't been doing this forever, right? I worked in corporate America for 10 plus years, and let me tell you, there were many times that I did not want to obey my superiors. Like, it happened a lot. I had some bosses that I didn't want to follow. But this is what God's calling us to do, right? He's put you in this place. He's put you in this career. He's put you in this job. And he says, you're going to honor me by following the direction of your superiors. And this is what the Lord is calling us to do. And Paul goes on through this verse in 22 to show us what our motivation should be to do this. He says, do not obey by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, if you have a King James version of the text, it says to do it in singleness of heart. That word singleness of heart, meaning sincerely or without hypocrisy. I do it, do your work sincerely. Not only abide in what you're being told by your, by your employer, but do the work sincerely without hypocrisy. Let me give you an example of this. What Paul is saying here is this. Don't be playing solitaire when you're supposed to be doing spreadsheets. Right? Yeah, come on. I told you I worked in corporate America for a long time. I know the game. How many Minesweeper uh, experts do I have in here? Am I the only one? I have a killer Minesweeper score, let me tell you. You might have to be over 30 to get that reference, so sorry. <laughs> but that's the point of the text, right? Don't be playing solitaire while you're supposed to be making spreadsheets. And on top of that... Don't act like you've been working hard as soon as your boss comes around the corner. Like, do it in singleness of heart. Be sincere in your work. Don't do it just to please your boss or to climb the corporate ladder. Don't appear to do it just so you can get that promotion. Paul says to do it fearing the Lord. Any of you in here ever been doing something at work that you're not supposed to be doing? Like, you're, you're not supposed to be you know, using your cell phone and yet you're ducking and diving behind walls and out of cubicles just to send a text message to the wife? Am I the only one? I've done that, y'all. You're afraid of the boss catching you. Paul says, don't fear, man. Don't fear the wrong you're doing for, from your boss. Fear God for the wrong you're doing. You may be fooling the boss, but you're not fooling the Lord. But that's not it. That's not, that's not all he's saying here. Not only that, Paul is calling out people-pleasing for the sake of exalting ourselves. Right? Again, our motivation should not be to work to please man or elevate ourselves, but to glorify Jesus through our work. Right? That's what the Bible is calling us to do today. And hear this, church. This one, this one, this one is, is one that hit me hard. The motivation to be successful at your job can't trump the motivation to glorify Jesus. Work cannot become an idol or your identity. Your motivation is solely to glorify Jesus. Paul shows us in this verse, the main motivation to work is to glorify Jesus sincerely 
out of fear of the almighty God. That's what he's telling us here in verse 22. The next point that Paul is preparing to make is this, that being rooted in Jesus should affect how we work, right? So it affects our motivation, but it should also affect how we do the work. Read with me the beginning of verse 23. Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily. Paul says, whatever you're doing, whatever job you've been called to do, whatever career you have, do it heartily. But what does it look like to work heartily? What does that mean? The word heartily comes, comes from the Greek word meaning with all effort or with all care or with everything we have. So plain and simple, Paul is, is telling us that we are called to put all effort into our work. Right? We're, we're called to put all of our effort into the work that God has called us to do. In the, in the, in the place he's placed us, in the career God has placed us, he's saying all of your effort should go into this work. While you're there, nine to five, whatever your hours are, with effort, you are to work. Don't do anything halfway. Don't slack. Paul says to do this. The Lord says to do this, but why? Plain and simple, right? There's no frills to this text today. It's just command after command. Don't do it halfway. Don't slack. Do it heartily. And he says that because he's next going to show us the motivation for that, which is who we are working for. Our third point today, verse 23 through 25, read with me again. Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrongdoing he has done. And there is no partiality. He says, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Right, we should be motivated to work heartily because of who we are working for. Right, we are working for Jesus. Right, we are working for the one true God. Like, that's our motivation to work heartily. The same God that created the heavens and the stars and the earth and all things we know, the same God that went to the cross for us, right, who died for our sins, the same God who was raised to defeat sin and death so we could live through other, through our, forever through our faith in him, the same God that sits on the throne in heaven, we work every day for that same God. That's who we're serving day in and day out, church. We serve that God. And think about that this week. Right? No matter what job you do, no matter what career you have, you're working for Jesus. Right? He's, he's your boss overall. If you're a carpenter, work like the deck you're building is in Jesus's backyard, right? If you're a mechanic, work like the car you're working on is Jesus's car. If you're a stay-at-home wife or a stay-at-home mom, when you're doing laundry, do it as though you're washing Jesus's robe. When you're preparing a meal for your family, prepare it like Jesus is gonna join you for supper. That's the mindset we have to have. Like that's the biblical mindset we have to have as we work every single day. Paul tells us next that, that as we do this, no matter the outcome from our efforts of our work, from the Lord, we receive the inheritance as your reward, right? So, so if we work every day for Jesus, as we move through our week, 
our reward is the inheritance in Jesus because that is who you are serving. Right? He's telling us here that no matter what happens in the workplace, no matter what hardships occur in the workplace or in your careers, maybe you, you worked really hard, you worked as if you were working for the Lord and, and then you, you didn't get that compensation that you feel that you deserve or maybe that you truthfully did deserve. Right? That happens in the world, in our context. You have to remember that we serve the Lord, right? We serve the God of gods, the King of kings, the one true Jesus, the one true God, and he eternally compensates us for our actions. It is him alone who compensates us eternally. And church, that is all the compensation we need. We need nothing else in life but that. But what Jesus gives us eternally through faith in him. When you've been done wrong by an employer or a superior, Paul lets us know. He follows up with that and says, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Remember, in Paul's context, he's speaking directly to slaves here. And he's telling them, no matter how horrible you're being treated, you are to work heartily because it is Jesus you are serving and not your master's. Right? By, by obeying your masters, you are serving me. You are glorifying me. That's what Jesus is saying. It is Jesus who you serve. He works everything else out above that. Our concentration needs to be glorifying God through our work. And it's the same in our, col- our cultural context today. No matter what's happening, we must always remember who it is we are working for. But all this isn't just for the employee. Right, we, we've talked a lot about what it looks like to be, to be a, an employee rooted in Jesus. Paul also has a, a message for the, the masters, for those who are in authority, our employers. If you're in here and you're in this room today and, and you're a, an employer, Paul has a message for you as well. He's going to let us know here, we glorify Jesus with our work and how we manage others, right? How we employ others. Read with me in, in verse four, or I'm sorry, in, in chapter four, verse one. He says, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is a command to the employer. Right? This is a command that God has given to you as an employer or to the employers that you work for. Here, he gives it plain and simple. It's a directive. Employers, treat your employees justly and fairly. He says the same in Paul's context here. He says, uh, bond servants, or I'm sorry, masters, treat your bond servants fairly and justly. And he's saying the same thing to you as an employer. Without a doubt, what Paul's saying here is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are rooted in the true gospel of Jesus, if you have been transformed by the love of Christ, you should be treating your employees justly and fairly. Right? That should be a conviction of your heart to treat your employees ju- justly and fairly as you desire the Lord to treat you. And Paul has already told us back in verse 11. If you look up chapter three, verse 11, Paul said this. He said, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. What Paul is saying here 
is masters, you are not any better than your bond servants. Employers, you are not any better than your employees. Both have the same master in heaven. Now, we serve the same God. We are equals. The Lord has, has, has ordained in our, in our work life that some people are to be supervisors and some people are to be laborers. That, 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 that's the truth. But what, what Paul is saying here is that you are equal under Christ. Both of you have the same master. You both serve the one true God. And that's what, that's what he's saying today. As you notice today, as we walk through this text line by line and verse by verse together, there isn't a lot of frill. Like Paul's not, not a lot of, of fuzzy words here. He's giving direct commands. He's extremely direct. This is how you are to live if you are a person rooted in Jesus. As we talked about earlier, the kind of flow of this letter to the Colossians, he, he first addresses the false teachers, and then he says, now, as new creations, this is how you live. And Paul today is, is wrapping up, this is how you live as a follower of Christ in the workplace. The Lord has commanded us to live this way. But why? Why has the Lord commanded us to, to work like this? Why is the Bible calling us to, to work like this? Why is there so much emphasis placed on how we serve and master our workplaces? We have to go back again. I'm going to take you to the exact same verse that we started with. We have to go back again to Colossians 3.17. This crucial command that we are given here in this text. Again, Paul says, Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed or work, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. All right, that's, what, that's what he's commanding us to do. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you take anything home with you today that I've said, if you just like completely checked out, I hope not, but if you have, right, let that be written on your heart today. That one verse, memorize that verse. When you wake up every morning, recite that verse. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let that guide you this week. Because as, as followers of Jesus, we're representatives of Jesus out in our world, out in our communities. Like, it's our strive here as Christians. It's what we strive for, to look more Christ-like. Like, we want to follow Jesus so closely. We want to walk with him so hand in hand that we start to, to look like him. We start to act like him. We start to feel like him. And we start to have remorse and grace and forgiveness like Jesus. That we become an empty vessel that he fills. We become the hands and feet of the Lord here in our communities. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says this. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. When we work as Jesus commands, when we, we're in the workplace and we're behaving as Jesus has commanded us to behave today, we will see, people will see Jesus working through us and the Bible says they will give glory to the Lord for that. Like they're not gonna see us, they're just gonna see Jesus. When we are wholeheartedly following Jesus, when we're walking with him as a true disciple, when Jesus is our true identity and we're abiding in him, we will look more and more like him and he will be glorified in that. So this week, as you wake up tomorrow, church, and as, you, as that Monday morning alarm starts to ring, 5.35, 5, 
4.30 if that's you. I pray for you. Before you hit that snooze button for the 16th time, remember this text. Right? Let the Lord write this text on your heart this morning. Remember that you don't work for the city. Right? You don't work for the bank. You don't work for the coffee shop. Even though that's where the Lord has placed you and that's where the Lord wants you to do your work, even though that's where the Lord is using you, remember at all times who you are working for. You are working for Jesus. Lord of Lord, King of Kings, beginning the end. That is who you're working for. And that should affect your work day in and day out. Let's pray for that this week. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for just the ability to come and worship you this morning, Father. Without you, without what you did, without you showing us your love through your sacrifice, we would have no reason to gather here. This place would have no reason to exist. There would be no reason to be here. If you didn't do what you did, if you didn't love us first, though we were sinners, you died for us. And that's what we're here to celebrate, Lord. Your grace, your love. We are here to lift your name high, Father. Above all things that we ever do in this place, we first want to glorify you. And so Jesus, that's what we do. This week, Father, I I pray that you would uh, be with every single person in here, Father, that you would lead them that they would open up your word this week, that they would sit down and have quiet time with you, Lord, that they would lean into you, Jesus, this week and allow you to lead them in their lives and in this case, specifically in their work life. Father, we know that, that work can be stressful. It can be many hours. It can be physically, emotionally, and mentally taxing, Lord. But this week, Lord, if we're in that season, get our minds and our hearts on the fact that we don't work for a corporation. We don't work for a boss. Father, we work for you. You have given us the jobs that we have. You provided them to us. And in that, we we repay you, Lord, by glorifying you in our work. You've called us to do that in your word today. So Father, I pray that every single person in this room, that as they go to work this week, that that is written on their heart, that that is what's on their mind as they wake up tomorrow is that in all things, Father, in all things, we just want to glorify you. So Lord, I I pray this week for us as a church body, God, that you allow us to go out and do that and to follow you. And from that, Lord, that you make us empty vessels, that you then fill us with the spirit, that you stir the spirit up and it seeps out of our pores. We don't even have to speak, Lord, that the way we work is honor to you and that people who are around us see you by our work. That's all we ask for, Lord. And in that, all we want, our only desire, is that through that you are glorified, Jesus. And so, Father, we just, we love you, Lord. We're here because of you. We worship you. We praise you. Glory, glory, glory is the Lord God Almighty, and that is you, Father. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our prayers. And so, Father, we continually will do that day in and day out of our lives, worshiping you for who you are, what you did for us on the cross. Jesus, we pray for this week. We pray for our people. We pray for our church that we would go out and that people would be affected by the gospel. They would come back on their knees to you, giving their lives over to you and being eternally saved. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray all these things. Amen. Church, you are loved. You are sent. Have a great week.